Shade Throwers. Gorgeous listeners, welcome back to another edition of Throwing Shade. Alan, how are you? Baruch Hashem. Amazing. I am so excited to be hanging out with you and uh, and digging Me into too. whatever weird thing we're exploring this week, which I literally have no, literally and figuratively have no idea, <laughs> figuratively have no idea what we're talking about. So how about you give us a little introduction? Sure. Well, I thought we would start into what are shading composed of? What are they made of? Oh, interesting. This is not a question I've ever asked myself. But now, now that I know. Okay. Yeah. So what are what are the even... I don't even know what the options are. Right. Well, so, okay. So um, I guess a little bit of introduction. Mm-hmm. We are talking about something a little bit esoteric. Yeah. And typically in rabbinic Jewish thought, when it comes to these esoteric things, you'll find often uh, four elements come up. Mm-hmm. Physical elements. Okay. Um, and they are? Earth, air, fire, and water. Correct. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, and they're called the aside dice. Yeah. The, the, these elements. There's also some really groovy funk playing in my head right now. Okay. Yeah. Um, another word of introduction. I'm kind of going to be throwing a lot of sources out because okay. it's just coming from all over the place. Yeah. But I think this will help us give a little bit more of a picture to what it is we're talking about. Mm-hmm. Before we get into those elements, though, I thought it'd be a neat segue to talk about uh, Lilith because we were just coming off of a big, uh, uh, a roll of, of things about Lilith, right? Yeah, yeah. And um, there's so much more to say still. I'm sure is. we'll come back to, to Lilith. But um, but yeah, we've been talking about origin stories, so it's interesting to kind of move into the actual composition <laughs> of Shadim. Mm-hmm. Um which is a little bit like the origin only, you know, physically speaking. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and you said physically speaking. I, I, I want to shy away from that a little bit. Right. Because remember, these four elements, while they are physical things, earth, air, fire, and water, mm-hmm. they are not... Um, uh, th- th- they're, they're metaphors. Because we're talking about things happening in the spiritual realm, which are which is by definition not physical, right? Okay, so we've okay. talked before about this idea of sort of demons being spirits without bodies, but we've also talked about them having chicken feet, um, mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, so okay, so we're working under the assumption that any sort of physical manifestation of a demon is really metaphorical. Well, you brought up an interesting point, which is that, and one that I'd like to keep in mind when we're talking about this sort of thing is that. Yeah. There isn't um, a hard and fast, this is a shade, so this is what it's made of. Right. A rule of any yeah, kind. Yeah, so, um, so some. So what I'm about to share with you actually is a, an example of uh, an exception to that rule mm-hmm. about the four Yisraelites. Yeah, elements. which I think is something that's actually so cool about Jewish tradition and, and digging into Jewish thought because it's not as though there is one particular canonical thing. There are all these sort of streams of thought that go into different directions and posit different possibilities and they're all you know up for discussion and they're all you know equally valid on some level so so let's dive into this one okay yeah um like i started to say chava rishayna who we learned was lilith right right the first eve right um says uh yalkut yalkut ruveni which is a, a, a book of midrash midrash okay um 
that she was not created of flesh. Mm. Uh, rather, she was made only of venom or poison and oils and things like that. <laughs> Whoa. Um, <laughs> okay. L- you know, yeah. right? Um, <laughs> um, Slimy gal. Got it. Okay. And she was a... Uh, a a um, damaging demon, a damaging ruach is what is the word that's used there. Mm-hmm. Now, ruach is interesting because ruach means in this context three things. Mm-hmm. Ruach means damaging spirit, yeah. right? Um, ruach means damaging shade of the caste called ruchin, mm-hmm. right? Ruach, right? And ruach also is one of those four elements, right? Air, air wind, wind, right. correct. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, something to keep in mind for that. Um, however, generally speaking, when we talk about Shadim, um, the Ramban comes, or moving past Lilith, I should say, uh-huh. the Ramban comes and says generally about Shadim that they are composed of the, fo- the foundational elements specifically of fire and wind, fire hmm. and Asian Ruach, uh-huh. right? Fire and air. Which kind of squares with that sort of soul without a body idea because i feel like well, wind again, and fire are kind of the most spiritual elements okay but again the word ruach right it mm-hmm. means both things and this is an example of what i was trying to say before right that it's we're saying the word ruach which means air but it also connotes a spirit right mm-hmm. right ish can do the same thing by the way also diamond uh, also um uh, air, uh, earth and, and water sure okay um and uh, Ramban continues and says that their bodies are spiritual, mm-hmm. ruhani, right? So they're they're not physical, right? Um, and however, if they were to be separated from these two elements, again, uh, fire and wind or air, mm-hmm. they would die. Mm. That's one way to to kill Shadim. Ooh. Okay. Um, but without going further down that path. What Ramban says next is that they sustain themselves. Their food is water vapor. Really? Uh, and also fire vapor, smoke, steam. <laughs> um, okay, fire uh, vapor. But you'll remember in a previous episode, we did mention that there's another source of food that they have, which we'll come back to. But Right. Um, um, and... Uh, um, Basically continues on to say that what's important is that they are they sustain themselves on the very thin um, light things that are based in these elements. Okay. Okay. Um, that's important. They're on sort of the Weight Watchers version of the elements. <laughs> like, what do you mean? <laughs> um, Meaning the vapor and the and the, the smoke, smoke and, and the, the steam and the, the steam yeah. and the sort of ethereal. side of all of those things okay right in in other words to say that they are spiritual beings Mm -hmm. and um their composition requires that their food be of a lower more base thing Uh right Uh, so like but yet they're drawn towards the sort of most spiritual-esque version of that right Uh, well not exact yet it just has to be more base than them. In other words, mm. Ramban doesn't go so far as to say this, but think about human sources of food. They mm-hmm. come from 
things that are on a lower status than other humans, right? Right, hopefully. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay. Okay, great. Um, so this is fascinating. Let's take a quick break and then we'll we'll dive back into what Shady Mar are made of and the stuff that they eat. Amazing. Okay. So we were just talking about the the composition of shadim and uh, what what food they take in on this physical <laughs> realm. So okay, so where else do we go from here? What else can we look at? Right. So Sforno picks up on that. Okay. So p- previously we were talking about Nachmanides, about Ramban, mm-hmm. um, and his view on all of this, and now we're going to a different commentator named Sforno. Right. Okay. Thank you. One of the um, big guns. Yeah, they're all big guns. They're all. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, sure, they are. Alan. <laughs> So Sfarno comes and uh, expounds a little bit further on that idea that that Ramban brought us a moment ago, Mm -hmm. saying that the reason why it's important that they sustain themselves by such thin things, Mm. such barely existing things, is that it's actually what helps them not be uh, seen. They can see, but Hmm. not be seen. Okay. Right? Okay. and uh, uh, actually explains even further, They, even if a person were to see them with their own eyes directly, mm-hmm. you couldn't still see them in a mirror. Mm-hmm. Um, they wouldn't appear in a mirror. Hmm. Uh, so this is, you know, way before vampire stuff. You know, this is like, <laughs> um, yeah, Middle right. Ages and whatever. Actually, I don't know when vampire stuff started. I shouldn't say that. I don't know. I'm sure some of our listeners do. Please tweet at us. Yeah. Um, um and it, again, it's because of the kinds of things that they eat. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, ah, and then Sforno goes on, continues to say that um, one of the things that they eat uh, is a certain um, uh, vapor of blood, right? Right. Which was the thing that we mentioned in a previous episode. Yes. And uh, that it's important that they eat this blood because this is, as we learn from the Torah itself, the blood has a for vi- vital force mm-hmm. to it. Yeah, it gives their life force. Right. Um, and then they they they, they sacrifice blood. The shadim sacrifice blood. They burn it, and then they, in the process of burning it, eat the vapor. Um, Wait. So it's like the shadim are offering a korban, are offering like a a sacrifice to. Uh, okay. All right. Yeah. 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 It says here because we've, we've dumb. They would they would sacrifice blood. That's nuts. I suppose we have talked before about how Shadim are obligated to do mitzvahs. At but this least is the not, Jewish ones. But this is not. Let's be clear. It's not a mitzvah. It's not a, okay. <laughs> part, part of note to self: not right, a mitzvah to, to sacrifice burn blood. and sacrifice blood. Right. Part, part of the whole sacrifice okay. process is removing the blood, and that's actually what makes it a kosher sacrifice. Right. But who says but, in doing the mitzvahs they get them all right? You know. Okay. Who among us <laughs> really? Okay, we could go down this road. I really don't want to. I but, know. I know. But okay. Um. Fine. Last source I'll bring <laughs> right now is uh, Rabbi Nubechia. Mm-hmm. Um, who uh, who just comes and basically supports all the other arguments uh-huh. um, and adds that uh, 
their their food is the actually the smell of fire. If I'm being more specific. Oh. Reach. Oh, reach, which is yeah. kind of like etymologically related to ruach. Oh yeah. Well, so interestingly, reach, we in this existence, in this in olam haza, in our existence, in our life, in this world, mm-hmm. eat physical foods which also have a smell right. to them. Yes. In the next world, um, we eat the smells. Right. We don't really. Yeah. Uh, humans. I'm not talking about shady. I'm saying like um, because this, the smells are are, are the more spiritual. Like right. you're just saying. Um, That's so interesting. I recently learned that smell is um, sort of anthropologically speaking, the, the oldest of our sense of uh, the oldest of our you know senses hmm. um, that it it kind of when you smell something, it goes straight to the oldest part of our brains. And that's why it's so it's so intrinsically linked to memory. So when you have um, like remembering the smell of baking bread, for instance, is much stronger and can be sort of held in your head longer than the memory of a beautiful sunset, for instance, Hmm. Um, because scent is the is the oldest of our senses. And um, so so that's so that's fascinating. Mm -hmm. And also, I I feel like there's something with the um, from from what I've learned about sort of rabbinic visions of the the afterlife whatever it is it's very this worldly it's very sort of grounded in like it'll sort of be like what we have now only we'll have enough of everything (laughs) Hmm. and everything will taste wonderful and we'll be able to talk torah and we'll connect with the greatest minds and um, be able to do all of the things that we love here only more of it and easier and things will not suck um, is is a lot of like the rabbinic vision of the afterlife so that's that's fascinating that scent is sort of at the center of that mm-hmm. yeah okay well, I, would, I wouldn't say it's at the center of the afterlife a- at all but i would say that it's a an element of it for sure sure okay fair enough um cool okay so demons are are made of, so how would you summarize all of this Dem- demons are made of again like this is weird, not a hard oily and fast stuff. Rule. Right. <laughs> I, I, exactly. There is a branch of Jewish thought that says that demons are made of kind of weird, oily things. Generally speaking, this is what you'll find among Shadim. Mm-hmm. But of course, there are exceptions. Right. Um, and that's and where, all of this is a metaphor. And it's it's all a metaphor, but it's where you get the idea of, you know, chicken feet, like you were mentioning before. Right. Um, that they can't be they they can't be seen, but they can see. Right. So. Mm. Um, you know, I'm sure we'll talk about this another time, but that, uh, you know, one way of, um, first of all, there's an exception to that rule. You can see shading. Mm-hmm. It is possible. It's not yeah. pleasant, but there is in the, in the Gemara is mentioned possible ways to see shading. Yeah. Also, we know about the chicken feet because even though you can't see the shading themselves, mm-hmm. you can find their tracks. Right, you can see um, evidence of their existence. Correct. Mm-hmm. Um, hmm. th- that sort of thing. But to to summarize very very briefly, just that, shading generally speaking, being spiritual things, mm-hmm. in other words, non physical things, mm-hmm. um, would uh, be composed of the quote unquote elements of fire and quote fire and quote air, mm-hmm. and that they. Uh, sustain themselves on things which are more base than them but are still very light mm-hmm. hmm. okay fascinating um that's i mean it's it's really interesting to think about the way that different commentators have sort of imagined 
these beings actually being in existence around us and that, you know, how they sustain themselves and sort of matching that with the kind of beings that they are, I think is really interesting. Cool. Thanks, Alan. Okay. Hey, Shade Throwers. So we got a great listener question in that we wanted to tackle from Necromance Her, who says, In Parshad Vayetze, Lavan is convinced not to search the camel bags by Rachel, mentioning she is menstruating. This is before we get the concept of Nita, which are the laws of menstruation, in Leviticus. Is there a reason besides him just being immature that he'd be unwilling to interact with her? Shade-related, maybe? Wink, wink, wink. <laughs> I know the text makes it seem like he doesn't want to make her move, but I've always interpreted it it as him being uncomfortable with the situation instead so first of all necromancer thank you very much for your question awesome um the full backstory is in genesis 31 or so Mm -hmm. um but short version is that rachel is leaving and she decides to leaving her father's house who is a famous terrible boss and uh idol worshiper human Terrible human, ridiculous human being. Um, you think your boss is, boss is bad, Levon is worse. Um, and she takes one of his idols with her on the way. And he goes hunting for it and asks her about it, but she is sitting on the bag in which that idol is. Yeah? Yeah. A couple of interesting points. One, first of all, again, great question. Thank you for the question. Yes. Um, Yay, questions. A uh, couple of points. One uh, is that... You know, our, our listener points out that Nida comes later in Leviticus, mm-hmm. but our rabbis would disagree. They say it comes back. We see evidence of mm-hmm. it not only in the story of Sarah Imenu, who's before this in Genesis, but even mm-hmm. in this very story, because we see we find that Lavan goes into Rachel's tent. Um, the word Nida itself is a way in Hebrew of saying separation. Right. Um, and so that so, might be why she's in the tent in the first place. Correct. Yeah. Right. Okay. Um, so that's one point. Uh, also, uh, I want to dwell a little bit more on this idea that um, Lavan was an idol worshiper mm-hmm. and that Rachel stole Very his idol. Very from idol worshiper, yes. I prefer not to use that word in this context, <laughs> but... Um, Yes, uh, that that he was a very religious idol worshiper, and mm-hmm. Rachel wanted to uh, prevent that because she wants what she should want, which is that everyone should only worship Hashem. Mm-hmm. Okay, sure. including her evil father. Right. Um, <laughs> the irredeemable bad guy, yes, okay. And anybody who might also want to mm-hmm. um, uh, worship those idols. Um, one last point of context Lavan, along with all of his sons and the troops with him, are turning everything inside out and upside down in all of these tents that belong to Yaakov mm-hmm. and his family mm-hmm. uh, in order to find this one particular idol, yeah. the statue. Yeah. And, um, and uh, Rachel says to him at that point, the way of women is upon me, right? I'm mm-hmm. menstruating. So mm-hmm. I can't get up from this spot where you think the the idol is that I'm sitting on, I can't get up from there because I'm because I'm menstruating. Right, back off. Right. So I want to mention something that Rabbi Nebuchadnezzar says. We mentioned him a little bit in oh, the last. Well, you're Rabbi Nebuchadnezzar popping up again. Right. Um, he points out that, uh, it, you know, and uh, uh, one more little point of background here. I think it's important is that in Jewish law and halacha, there is this concept called tuma. Mm-hmm. 
which is sort of inaccurately translated as impurity, but it that has the wrong connotations to it. That's not really what Tuma is all about. Right. Tuma sometimes, uh, let me say, impurity sometimes seems like uncleanness or something like that. Right. Which is not at all what Tuma is. Yeah. It's, um, you could think of it, it's not also totally accurate, but you could think of it as closeness to death. Right. There's this kind of sliding scale of like there's the dead body itself on one end, right. which is super tuma. And then there's right. all the stuff that's sort of close to but not exactly death. That's a little bit of tuma. And so menstruation kind of falls into that category because it's the theoretical potential for life that then doesn't happen. Correct. So it's like death in that way, but not totally like death in the sense of like a cadaver sitting there or like a corpse sitting there. Yes. A human, yes. but human, it dead human a, body. It is a different thing. Yes. yes. So I'm saying, well, no, but it's important. It's an important distinction because in Jewish law, like you said, it's a sliding scale and the highest mm-hmm. level of Tuma is a dead human body. Right. So there's all kinds for of ritual simplicity. around for that. For simplicity's sake. There's other exceptions, whatever. Right. But, um, but, um, Remember, Lavan has his own religion. Mm-hmm. And in his religion, there is no distinction between the level of impurity related to a dead cadaver, a dead, a dead corpse, mm. and a woman who is menstruating. Oh, so oh not same, o- same. Right. So not only can he not, according to his religion, have any benefit from anything a woman has done with her hands as long as she's menstruating, mm-hmm. walk in the same places she's walked mm-hmm. um uh, uh, and uh you know um sit uh, you know touch any place she sit she's sat before which is relevant to the story but even more to the point of the story is he can't even speak according to his religion with a woman who is menstruating got it so this is kind of how Rabbeinu Bachia is coming in and explaining away why Lavan goes in there asks this question hears that answer and then just like shuts up and turns around and walks away yeah, exactly that's what happens in the story okay so it doesn't, it doesn't demon. Nope. You know, one of these days <laughs> it will, and it's going to be amazing. Okay. Thank you for the question, Necromancer. <laughs> Appreciate it. And Shade Throwers, you got questions? Throw them our way at Throwing Shade on Twitter, and we will do our best to get to it in a future episode. Shade Throwers, thanks for sticking with us today. We are going to close a little bit differently today. We had a listener named Rachel reach out to us um, asking for a little a little chizik, a little shalom, a little uh, encouragement because she's been going through a hard time for simply having the courage to be who she actually is in public. And that's a bunch of crap. So <laughs> um, uh, Rachel, wherever you are, we see you. We love you. You're beautiful. You're exactly as God made you. And in uh, we're gonna we're gonna give you some chizik by singing a little song, which is something that we haven't done as throwing shade, but we did lots of as <laughs> Stereo Sinai in a former life. Um, so, uh, Alan, you want to say a little bit about the niggin that we're gonna do? Uh, it's it's called the Berdichevers niggin. Um, there are some words that are not very well known. Are part of the sniggin, but they are there and we'll we'll stick them in the middle okay it's uh yeah it was our warm-up song it's also kind of a, a an action item in a way yeah yeah don't anyway. be shitty to people <laughs> okay <laughs> and also yeah all kinds of good stuff for everybody okay great let's do it
everybody. We'll catch you next time on Throwing Shade, Better Living Through Jewish Demonology.